Welcome to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. If you're a first-time listener, we're glad you're here. I'm here today with my co-host, Mark Weller, for another awesome episode. I think it's going to be a fun one, Mark. What do you think? Couldn't be more excited. Great guest today, Alex Smith. Yeah, Alex is the man. He's the owner of so many amazing restaurants uh, that have become Baltimore staples. And they've created a national footprint as well, as you know, Mark. Uh, So it's going to be really interesting to hear about everything they have planned, the future of their business, how they're growing, how they choose their locations, and the impact on real estate, and what their keys to success are. So it's going to be a great show. Looking forward to it. Yes, no doubt. I think for um, entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, people in real estate, and people that just have uh, enjoy listening to other folks with vision, I think this will be very, very, uh, very good listen. All right, well, let's get to it. Let's welcome Alex Smith to the show. Alex, awesome to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Alex, uh, we've known each other a long time. Been great friends in Baltimore. You've been my closest friend in Baltimore since I've been up there since uh, 2011, 2012. I've watched you grow your your real estate empire, I'm going to call it now. But more importantly, let's start with uh, what's going on personally. You, you're married now and you just had a, had a baby a year ago now, a little over a year ago. Tell us what that's like being a dad. It's the best, as you would know. Uh, I'm following in your footsteps, but I've got one and one on the way and it's, uh, it's just the greatest thing in life. Life-changing experience gives you something to work for every day, a real reason to get up in addition to what you already had going on, so it's exciting. Absolutely. You're following in his footsteps. Are you going for five children also? I mean, I'm not going for five, but I'm going to try and meet him halfway. <laughs> All right. Maybe Two three. And a half. Maybe three. Yeah. Perfect. That's great. I mean, let's talk a little bit about, um, there's a couple things I want to talk about. And I think this is a really important one is, you know, Atlas has been built into what it is now, which is so successful. And I'll let you go over that in a second, but I want to go back and it, it's starting off with being, uh, you know, going through high school, being an athlete, and then making commitment to go become a division one athlete in college playing lacrosse and becoming uh, one of the best of all time. And I believe at one point, the absolute best of all time at uh, your position uh, in lacrosse, University of Delaware. I mean, how did that and all the lessons there apply to business and apply to all the experience since then to get you to where you are now? Sure. Uh, you know, any team sports, it's all about team building. And when you build a restaurant, it's much like building a lacrosse team. You need people in various different positions, and they all need to be successful at what they do to go out and win a game. So. Um, when you build a restaurant, you need a good front of house and back of house and manager, just like you need a good midfield and attack and goalie. Um, and then it's about motivating those players and coaching those players to go out and win every night. And so every day we walk into a new restaurant service, it's like going into a new game. And so it's about winning the game. And, and the work ethic that it takes to be successful in sport or in business, or in, in anything you do in life, whether you're whether you're a teacher, you're you're you work on Wall Street, you're a fireman, could be anything. I mean, it's that same work ethic, I would imagine, right? Yeah, and you got to love what you do. I mean, you guys love what you do, and I love the restaurant business. I love hospitality. Uh, I love talking to people. I love providing a great product. Um, it's just it's what I love, um, and so it doesn't feel like work when you go out and do it every day. But of course, you have to have the ability to go and grind it out like we do every day. Yeah, no doubt. So, so tell us. So, Harbor East, I believe uh, Uzo Bay was uh, was the first restaurant there that you opened in 2012, uh, if I'm correct. And uh, talk about what led you to do that and what that experience was like, and kind of, you know, obviously we we can move from there. But like, what was the idea? How'd you start, and why? Sure. Well, I started in a Hagen Dazs franchise when I was graduating high school, and I was meeting with my grandfather, and he said we're building a movie theater, and I said, hey, I'd love to open up an ice cream shop next to your movie theater. So. That's how I got started in the restaurant business. And how old were you at that time? I was 21 years old. Okay. And so that's that's how I got started. And you were it? still in college? Still in college. 
and it never stopped since then. So got out of college. I was playing in the Final Four and, gra- and graduated college and then started scooping ice cream and um, playing pro lacrosse in the summer and then running my ice cream shop. The guys on the pro lacrosse team called me Scoopy. I think there's some good videos on YouTube you can check there out are, if yeah. you want to see the Scoopy stories. Yeah. It's pretty good. And uh, so inside lacrosse, I had fun with that. And so I was playing pro lacrosse and scooping ice cream. And then there was really no lunch spot in Harbor East for just fast casual. So I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna get into the fast casual business. And then I opened up the deli. So we did Harbor East Deli, which... Which is money, by the way. It's so good. Yeah. So for three years, I made cheesesteaks and uh, learned how to run my own small business and, um, you know made pizza and I was open to close there, just opening the door and locking the door at night. And then of course my grandfather's Greek. Um, you know, I have, I'm half Greek. Um, and so I wanted to get into fine dining. Uh, I wanted to do a Greek restaurant and not what you would see in, in Greek town, which is like Samos and, you know, places that are selling heroes and things like that, but more fine dining Greek, uh, modeled after some of the best in New York, whether that's, you know, Milos or Avra or some of the others that are up there. Um, and so, I figured that would be a, a great restaurant for amenity for the neighborhood. And so I used the capital that I'd made the last three, four years in those two places to open up Uzo Bay in 2012 in Harbor East. So it's been 10 years now since this August will be 10 years open. And the transition, it sounds pretty incredible. I actually have my own stories like that in construction, starting with much smaller product and then moving into more sophisticated product that took longer. And now we're on to projects that take anywhere from five to 15 years. And it sounds like that's been your progression in the restaurant industry as well. You started with something smaller and simpler and then moved your way up. Correct. And, th- and that's probably a really important part of how you learn from the ground up. Absolutely. And, and the biggest thing is it, it takes a year just to figure out how to make these businesses profitable, make sure you have the right team, make sure it's consistent. And and it takes time before you go to the next step. And obviously it snowballs because now, you know, we're, we're much bigger and we've got a much better team. Now, we had a great entrepreneur on, Scott Plank, and we were talking about it. And one of his uh, great things that he had experienced was he had worked for some really large companies. And I had the same thing. I did a, a year or two with some very large companies in construction. And he was saying how invaluable that was to have a seat at the table. Did you have any experiences with anybody really large, or have you been an entrepreneur your whole life? No, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, one of the things I've done, me and my team have done a great job of, I should say, is we've gone out and recruited a lot of top talent from many different companies across the country. Um, and so we've, we've done a great job basically hiring in positions where people have this experience of what it's like to run multi-concepts over multi, multiple states. Um, and it took us a while to get there, but I think we've done a great job of bringing people in our organization to learn from. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I noticed with you all is through the pandemic, through everything we've been through, we've all been through a lot, especially the past uh, three years, uh, you are very loyal to your teammates, the communities you work in and the teammates who actually work for you, your, your teammates and employees, and it really shows that it pays off. You have some incredibly dedicated folks in the management and then uh, um, all the way down to even the serving level and dishwashing level and everything. I know you take very good care of them. That's probably something that's very important in your industry, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, we were one of the first in the state, or if not the first, as far as a hospitality business to do a $15 hour minimum wage. All of our employees have benefits. Um, is that voluntary? You did $15 voluntary? $15 minimum wage is what everybody starts with in our company other yes. than other than tipped employees. But so, saying that was a voluntary move on yeah, your Yeah, it was part. a voluntary yeah. move. Yeah, I mean, great. it's not something that we're mandated to do. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I'm not aware of anybody in the restaurant industry that's doing that. I mean, I know Under Armour just did it in some of these bigger corporations, but in our business, that's really mm-hmm. rare. That's huge. Um, but it's the right thing to do. And we it's also be- probably pretty important for retaining you know, quality employees. I mean, it's yeah. a little bit self-serving too, right? It's self-serving uh, in the in the fact that we want to make sure that we retain good people, yeah. but 
also, I mean, just the right thing to do. Well, that's great. And, and when I think of Atlas uh, Restaurant Group, I, I think of the quality of the food, the ambiance, the level of cool and fun. And, you know, your places, whether it be Tagliata, Zumi, Uzo Bay, the Bygone, and on and on and on, we could name tons of others. Um, they're exceptional. And they're some of the best restaurants I've ever been to. Um, but you specifically, you know, your family's been very successful. You didn't have to come out of college and grind. And when I see you working, you're there closing restaurants at two in the morning, you hustle, um, you work your butt off. Um, talk about how you decided that's going to be what you were all about and where that came from, given, you know, you didn't have to do any of that really coming out of college. You could have just gotten a regular job and done your own thing. So you, you became an entrepreneur and you're hustling your butt off even to this day. Um, talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a lot to prove. I mean, I've got a grandfather who was a Greek immigrant who started from scratch and he built the largest private bakery in the country. And I got a dad on the television side who was not only a, an oral surgeon, but owns a large television business. And so for me, um, it's not about money, but it's about proving myself and showing that I can grow my own business um, and do it on my own. And so for that, that's my driver. That's amazing. And you've done it. And I'm sure you're going to continue to do it for decades. Awesome to yeah, see. I, I want to vouch for that. One of the hardest working people. Yeah. He's, he's no in doubt. that category. I, I appreciate that. I think there's, uh, you can't say the hardest working because there's probably 20 or 30 or 40 people that I'm great friends with that work just so hard, committed seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And you're one of them. Thank you. Uh, I always know I can text you whether it's 6 a.m. or uh, or, or 2 a.m. <laughs> or, or 6 p.m. And you're on it and you're right back to me. So amazing. All right, so I'm going to hog the mic for a second. I got to go back to the lacrosse topic just for a second. You knew I was going to do this, Mark. So Mark's son, uh, for the listeners that don't know, is an exceptional high school face-off guy at St. John's College High School. He's one of the best face-off guys in the country. Alex Smith was a face-off guy as well, as we said earlier, at the University of Delaware and uh, took Delaware to the Final Four with some of his other teammates who were great leaders as well. The first time they had been to the Final Four, Correct. Correct. And, uh, and they haven't been back since either. Is that no, right? Unfortunately, they haven't. It's, it's a tough hurdle to get to. Trust me. I know that. It having is. coached at Georgetown for 10 years. A lot of quarterfinals at Georgetown. Yeah, a lot of quarterfinals, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I think for both of you, the face-off position, there's attributes that contribute to what Alex's success has been in the restaurant industry. To me, that shows, based on what you did in the grind of that face-off position, Mark, I want to hear from you about like the toughness and some of the things that you're seeing with your own son that definitely transfer over to Alex. There's a couple of things that stick out in that position, which are really fun. It, it reminds me more of wrestling in the sense that it is a team sport, but it's, it's win, lose, or draw, and you're completely exposed by yourself. I've watched my son do this now for three or four years at a super high level. There's nowhere to hide. You either win or you lose, and you either have what it takes or you don't. In every game and every face-off, you have to start over again. And I really think, because I always look back to my at, at the wrestling I did up until, up until ninth grade, and the wrestling I did was equally as important as the team sports that I did where I learned how to work within a team because it gave me the confidence to sort of be mano a mano, like in the ring, not afraid to just go for it. And I felt like that was uh, that was an integral part of me becoming a leader and me becoming um, sort of um, an entrepreneur and me being able to take steps out on my own without without having confirmation from other people and things like that. This isn't something Alex and I have ever talked about before, but I'm watching. Uh, this is my experience with wrestling and I'm watching it with yep. my son now. And I would imagine Alex has a million stories above and beyond that because he was so wildly successful. No, I mean, it's great. The, the individual aspect of the face off is something that I always loved. 
I mean, just that competition, and as I'm sure your son knows, I knew who the better guys were in the league, whatever league it was, whether it was the pro league or the world games or whatever it was, we knew who the good guys were and who the, you know, and and so it was a constant battle of watching and studying those guys and then changing your game to make sure that you could go out and compete and then working with your team to, to craft a game plan to make sure you could gain possession and control the game. And it, the face-offs now, can, you know, they control the game. And so It's almost the best of both worlds because yeah, you get the mano a mano and then you get the team, you you get the team sport all in one place, right? You do, absolutely. Yeah. And so you get the individual aspect that you would get as a swimmer or a tennis player or a wrestler. Yeah. But then you also get that team that team element. So how did that? How does that apply? Like I said, the like just some of the experience. Right? How does that apply to your entire attitude and business acumen and, and ability to be an entrepreneur going forward? Has that has that made a huge difference? Absolutely. I mean, look, I'm I'm much like you in that. You know, when my back's up against the wall, I just kind of bear down and I'm like, I'm gonna grind this out, and I'm mm-hmm. just gonna I'm just gonna keep going until I grind it out. And if the team's there to help and we can put a, together a plan to to tackle it together, that's great. But if they're not there, then it's just going to happen. We're going to make it happen. and We just grind it out, whether that's it's right. a store opening or whether it's a yeah. deal or whatever it is. That's right. It's interesting, though, how, um, and I, again, I use sport as a reference a lot, and, and I hope it doesn't alienate anybody who listens to us or, or hears me talk about it, but sport for us always uh, swung right back over to being an entrepreneur and swung right back over to business. And uh, sometimes, you know, work experience also did that when you were really young, but not everybody has a chance to work full time at a job when, they, when they're busy in school and they're doing sport and other things. So it's really great to hear that. And it, it's, it's nice to see the sort of fruits of your labor of the early work and how it, that work ethic applied into moving forward. And obviously, a lot of that comes from your amazing parents. And, and your grandparents, obviously, but you're, you know, it starts with your parents too. I mean, your parents really, they've always worked. I know that they're really committed to working and, and dedicated to it. And they set an incredible example for you going forward. And I'm sure that was a big influence. Yeah. I mean, I think like yourself, it's all about how do you motivate your kids? And I'm yeah. thinking that now when I look at my, my, my young one and I want him to, I want him to learn on his own and develop on his own, but I also want to push him and just not over push him, but push him in a way that is going to make him the most successful and get the most drive out of him. So I think about that often. Yeah. And the thing is for our own kids too, it's like the path that I took is not necessarily the right path. Maybe it's not the wrong path, but it's finding that passion and then developing it, helping your child develop that and then find a way to translate that into the next stage of their life after they're done with what they're doing now. And, uh, Man, I'll tell you how it all goes in the end, but it's it's going okay so far with my five kids. So I'm just going to keep pushing the same uh, same yeah, you're, agenda. You're a great dad. If I can be on the Weller plan, I'm all about it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. So uh, you know, Mark was just teasing uh, a little bit of um, stories about your family and such, and talk about how your extended family and yourself, you know, you're so ingrained in the Baltimore community, and you know, you in particular, but your whole family. Why is Baltimore that place that for, for you and your family, you really want to see it develop and you want to see it be successful? Like my grandfather was a Greek immigrant and he started in a one shop bakery and he built this large company there. And, you know, he was the guy that, you know, and the money he made, which he, he did very well, you know, he wasn't a guy that had a brand new car and he wasn't a guy that built a big house or had all these vacation homes or a boat or a plane or anything like that. He wanted to take his dollars that he made and reinvest in the city because mm-hmm. he wanted to see radical change. And, you know, Harbor East and w- everything we've developed is, you know, $2.5 billion and $2.7 billion, I think, now in infrastructure. And that wouldn't have happened if it, he wouldn't have used his capital to, to, to kickstart that. So, um, 
you know, I look at, and I spent a lot of time with him and, you know, when we got started together, there was only maybe five or 700 million in development. So I saw a few billion dollars in towers and, and infrastructure go up. And so I saw his vision and what he created there and it's worked great. And it's been, people have been receptive to it in the community, in the region. And so now I look at the restaurants as a way to continue to improve that and protect it um, and protect his legacy. And so what I'm trying to do with the restaurants is really what we've created is a regional tourist destination. If you combine all the Atlas restaurants in greater Baltimore, we're going to serve about 3 million people this year. Wow. So we, you know, other than Maryland Live, we're really the number one tourist destination in the region. Uh, You know, more people come to us than the Science Center and Aquarium combined. So what we're trying to do is provide a, we're trying to change the narrative on the city, change the brand of what Baltimore is, um, and then drive people to uh, the Inner Harbor and, and, and not only that, but Port Covington and other areas to come back to the city and, and take part in this change. Yeah, that's great. And that's a perfect segue to what I wanted to ask next, which, and you mentioned it, Inner Harbor and Port Covington, you know, being so influential uh, and impactful in building up Harbor East and all of Baltimore. How do you view Port Covington? A lot of people who have the experience you have could view Port Covington as a threat or, you know, the redevelopment of Harbor Place as a threat. Um, How do you view that? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't think that Port Covington is a threat to Harbor East. I think it's a threat to maybe the CBD, and that's because the city has not done a good job of finding people to come and reinvest in the CBD. It's old inventory. Um, there's a there's a crime problem there, um, and so if the city wants a thriving CBD, they need to find outside people to come in and reinvest in it and start protecting the people that work there. Uh, Port Covington's got brand new, beautiful inventory. I think they're going to do great regionally. I think they're going to have office. Uh, they're going to have retail. They're going to have residential, and it's going to be safe. Mm-hmm. So they solve a lot of problems there. Easy access to 95. I think it's going to be a thriving development. Um, and with Dave Bramble, I, I, I think Dave's a great local developer. I love Dave. Um, but he's got some of the problems of the CBD. If he can't figure out public safety in the Inner Harbor, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he's not going to be able to have the density in the inner harbor that he really had that you guys have in Port Covington. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys have a lot of density there. He, you can go vertical. He can't, uh, at least on the Pratt street side. So he's got to figure out a way to really change the narrative of public safety in the CBD and in the inner harbor. And then we need to get some outside people to come in the city and reinvest in the inventory that's old in the CBD and get some office tenants and attract some new business into the city. It's fine. When I think about that too, for all of, you know, the entire region, I think all of it is additive. And I think the sooner that the CBD uh, gets moving in the right direction, which I think it is now, they're starting to focus on that. Uh, Harbor East, the more successful it is, the better we are. Canton, the more successful it is, the better we are. I think it all adds up with Port Covington. And I think when you start adding up all of these pieces together being successful, that's when we really have a successful city as a whole as we start, as we start to move outward and into other communities that need, uh, need development. Some of the communities that have been sort of left behind, that this gives an opportunity as these other projects fill out. So I think um, – I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I also think more is better no matter how we get it done over the next few years. Yeah, I love your answer, and and we're certainly rooting for David Bramble and Harbor Place to be successful, and we buy into the idea, as you do, that the rising tide lifts all boats. So we're we're excited to see that redevelopment, and hopefully it's tremendously successful. Um, You mentioned earlier about your team and how important building a team is. I wanted to just quickly ask you about working with your brother. You know, your brother, Eric, is a big part of what you do. What's it like working with your brother every day? It must be very cool. It's great. 
I love my brother and I love working with him. You know, just like any other brothers, you know, we we have our, our ups and downs, but in the end, uh, we're blood and we're thick as thieves, and we don't really move forward unless we both agree on something. So, um, you know, it's great. And the other thing is, is that you're with somebody in a room that's always going to tell you what the reality is. Mm-hmm. You're not surrounding yourself with people that actually work for you. It's somebody that's your partner. Um, and you know, you always know where you stand with your brother. So, yeah. which is great. Well, and your brother, your brother's a, oh, he's very, uh, very similar in many ways, but incredibly different in other ways. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but he is an incredible, incredible guy. I've gotten to know him so well over the past bunch of years, done several trips with him out West and other things. And what I found is that he is, uh, he is a man who is an honest, honest man. Uh, who says what's on his mind and also also is, is very, very smart. So you're very fortunate to have uh, not only a, a partner who is uh, of that uh, of that level, but also the fact that he's your brother. You can keep it honest. It's just an incredible situation, and I think that's a lot of the reason why we've seen the level of success we've seen out of Atlas nationwide. Um, I don't think it's an accident. I think the, uh, the, 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 the partnership between the brotherhood really, uh, really makes it go. Oh, absolutely. Switching gears a little bit over to, you know, some of your uh, restaurants and, and there's so many, as I mentioned earlier, it's hard to name them all and they're, they're all <laughs> exceptional. Um, so many different concepts and types of cuisines. Take us through for the layperson who hasn't worked in the restaurant industry. What's it like uh, opening a, re- a new restaurant and what's that process like? Just give us like a minute on that if you could. Yeah, sure. So first thing we do is we go into a market and we see what is needed in a market. And I'll just give you for, for instance, uh, you know, we decided to do start in Houston with two seafood restaurants. Um, and obviously we're not selling crawfish and stuff that you would see in Texas and Louisiana. We're selling, we did, we did Mediterranean, we did an oyster house, something that's a little different, more East coast. So we went to Texas and, and said, and this is really a need, let's do this. Um, so anyways, we find the real estate um, we generally look for real estate, uh, when it comes to restaurants where there's, there's multiple other units doing volume in the same type of price point. And, um, when I say conceptualization, I mean like just the, the upscale designs and, and, and feel of the place. So you could say upscale dining, or you could say it's, um, you know, what, if it's shop tank, it's more bar oriented or whatever it is, but we look for like concepts and a development. Uh, and then it's about making the right deal. Um, it's about making the right deal with the landlord. Uh, you know, we try not to sign uh, personal guarantees. When we do, they're they're limited. Uh, restaurant business is tough, so you try and avoid that. Um, negotiate the the right TI package, the right investment from the landlord, and really, you want a landlord that's going to work with you. That's gonna that's gonna really help you develop and push your brand and your concept within their development. Um, you know, it's a it's it's a it's a relationship business, so. You know, we have meetings where we meet with great owners or, or, or great projects with not great owners. And we just, we go the set, we are separate ways just because we don't, mm-hmm. if push came to shove, we want a partner in, in the process, not, not an adversary. Um, but anyways, we, we develop that and, and we, we go and we build it out. And, um, and then it's everything from when you open a restaurant, it's just think of it like a Broadway play. It's everything from like the lighting to the opening act is like, you know, your valet, that's the first touch, you know, your host and your host and hostesses, the music you're playing, everything from a coaster to a flower to a, the plates to silverware, the napkins, uniforms, every detail matters. Um, and then there's a vigorous training. Uh, do, you, do you personally participate in the process of picking all those things? 
I do, yeah. So I'm, I'm. Do you enjoy that? That sounds fun. I love it. Yeah. So I'm very big into the conceptualization, all the touch points that a consumer would get when they get into the restaurant, the feel, the lights. Um, and now there's these things where you can control lights on your phone. It drives me crazy. I was in Houston turning the lights up and turning the lights down. Um, but um, yeah, everything from the entertainment to the product, uh, I, I approve everything that goes on the plate, um, which is why I need to lose some some weight. Um, <laughs> to the cocktail program, to the wine program, to the, to the conceptualization, even the logo design, the menu design. I touch everything before the customer sees it. But you also, like, talking about design real quick, and we know we're moving into a different area, but design real quick. You and I have worked with uh, Patrick Sutton yeah. on multiple projects. I've done some really big stuff with him. Incredible. You've done all kinds of stuff with him. Yeah. He, is, he is a very unique and incredible talent, right? Oh, he is part of the reason we are where we are today. No doubt. I mean, when you talk about, when I was talking about design, I'm talking about, the concept design. So like, you know, Patrick and I walked the Oregon Grill the other day. And one of the things that I, when we demoed it and we pulled down, all the original stone from the farmhouse is like in the building. So I called Patrick up. I'm like, I don't think we need to do wallpaper. I was like, let's just backlight this stone, make it like warm, and then just get some really cool, badass portraits, hand paintings of what we want to do, and then light those. So he's like, all right, I'm going out tomorrow. So he's, so we, Patrick is like a very detail oriented guy and he's yeah. just incredible with just fabrics and patterns and, and, and details of brass and wood and just the way and his the story too, right? Yeah. Just the way that his mind works is incredible. So we give him an overview of like what direction we want and then try and use as many natural materials in the space, whether it's inside or outside storefronts, whatever it is. And we tell him what the concept is and what the feel is. And then we put a mood board together and then he comes up with the specifics. And he just uses his talent to like dial everything in. But you can't overemphasize the importance of that time and energy upfront in design and cost. Look, like people I, don't understand that. Like the reason your restaurants feel the way they do is because not only the human interaction and touch, but the design, the level of layering, the level of detail and so on. Listen, Patrick is very good. He's very expensive. You get every penny you invest with Patrick back. Yes. Period. Yes. And I know you guys have done projects with them, and we've done, I think, 14 projects with them. We won the number one hotel in the United States in 2018, yeah. Condé Nast Reader's Choice. I don't know anybody else who's ever won that. And it's well-deserved. Yeah. And, but, I mean, but, the place is just and amazing. I give, and I give, there's a lot of people I give a lot of credit to, but Patrick yeah. is definitely one of them. 100%. Um, I mean, the, you know, obviously the, the planks for having the vision to invest in that. And Patrick for what he put into it. And then, like you said, I think the biggest thing of all is then capturing that idea and never losing sight of it, but keeping it on budget. And you you work real hard. But the great thing about guys like Patrick and the great designers out there is they work hard to keep you where you need to be from a business perspective so that business can is sustainable and can stay open. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you this. I mean, Patrick does a great job of listening. And it's not just me, but, you know, our other partners and our team and he listens to everything you're saying. He's just incredible when he just, and he asks the right questions. Like, why do you, why would you want to do that? Or what's your vision here? What's there? And then he takes your thoughts and then just dials them in and makes them just beautiful. And that's, I think, Pat, one of Patrick's best talents is that he, he really just, he takes in everything and sucks it in and then just pushes you in a direction that he thinks you're going to be most successful by using his yeah, it's a, it's, he, he distills yeah. the ideas and, he, and yes. he brings them down to concentrate where they can be then uh, instituted inside the project. 
Correct. And then it's and then he, he's working with you. So that is great. So Patrick, uh, I'm glad we can get him. A, you know, I feel like we, we're doing yeah. a commercial. You guys, right now. by the way, you guys need to get him in here. He'll be on the next one, maybe. And, and in the meantime, this episode brought to you by Patrick Sutton Design. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. The, the irony, the irony is neither one of us have any reason we have to do this. We're, we're talking about Patrick because we want to. He's that good. Yeah, he's the man. So uh, let, let really me ask cool. you. Let me change gears a little bit here. And uh, th this is really important. Like the biggest, there's so many changes and challenges and so on that's happened over the past, uh, especially two and a half years, right? With technology and so on. And then, and then it led into the pandemic and now we're coming out of the pandemic and, and here we are. So what are the challenges and, and what are the changes and so on that the restaurant industry overall is facing going forward? Is it going to be status quo? Are we changing the way we do business? Are we changing how people interact in the, in, in your spaces? What's going on? Yeah, I, mean, I think the biggest change in the restaurant business is 30, 40% of restaurants in the country closed. And so I think that it, it the, the strong survive, and it's, it's tough to say this, but the strong survive. And mm -hmm. I think anybody that wasn't making money before the pandemic and didn't really have a great operation, they, they're gone. So you have a bunch of strong operators out there right now. And from a real what an interesting perspective. And yes. from a real estate perspective, I mean, there's a lot of government money that these strong operators got. And so I think now is the time for local operators, if they feel confident, to expand their businesses. Um, because I, I think there's not a lot of competition. There's definitely a need. Um, you know, business is strong. Uh, there's a lot of people coming back in the industry. Um, so I think now is time for restaurants to, to grow. And I, I really think it's a great time. And are, are, are millennials or are, are different groups and age groups spending as they did before? Are they spending more? Are they spending less? What's going on? I mean, everybody's spending more because product is through the roof. I mean, steaks are through the roof. Seafood's through the roof. Everything's gotten very expensive. So the gross dollar, the gross yeah. ticket is higher is what you're saying. Correct. Anybody, any landlord that's got a percentage rent deal, they're, they're licking their chops because, uh, you know, just sales are up and they're up because of inflation and they're up because they're up. So, yeah. um, you know, our units are doing great. Um, and I, I just think that it's a time for a lot of local entrepreneurs to scale their business. Yeah. Um, just because there's not a lot of, not a lot of competition. I have one last question regarding the restaurant business. And th this is always fascinating to me with somebody like you. I met a couple other guys at your level, but not, not a lot of them. How do you have so many different cuisines, um, uh, representing different countries, different types of cuisine, so on? How do you do so many things? Well, for example, you have a Zumi, which I was there the other night. It rivals any product out there regarding fish um, and so on, and, and sushi and, and, and various um, uh, beef and so on. But the way you've done it is amazing. And then you go over to Tagliata, which is Italian, and is good. it rivals anywhere in New York from the best Italian restaurants. And Rienzo can verify Yeah, it's that. my favorite Italian restaurant. Exactly. In the region, for sure. Yeah. In the free so so how, how do you switch from cuisine to cuisine and, and do them all so well? It's all about the people. It's all about people. And, um, you know, it, one of the things we've done successfully is we've recruited a lot of fantastic chefs from, from different parts of the country to come to Baltimore, move their families to Baltimore, um, live in our city, and then work in Atlas. And so Izumi's been around seven years. Um, our first chef there, Taka, he was from Japan. Um, and, you know, he was um, executive chef at Japone in Chicago moved to Baltimore, opened up our spot. Um, he was excellent. And then Alisher took over the reins. Alisher uh, was formerly exec sue at Zuma and then was executive chef of Tao in L.A., uh, running a huge operation for them. 
he moved his family to Baltimore to 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 be in our organization. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, and so when you have guys like that, um, that that move their families to a city to, I mean, it's really not on us; it's on them. Yeah, um, your chef, your executive chefs, and like the, your chef at Tagliata, who I think runs some Julian. Other Excellent. Yeah, he's our partner in, in, in Marmo, which just opened in Houston. Um, and, and obviously Tagliata as well. He's also in a partner in Monarch. But, uh, you know, that's a guy who's Italian heritage. He told me the other day he's been to 21 out of 23 regions in Italy and staged in a lot of them. Yep. Um, so this is a guy who's just a true, you know, he's he's just a professional. He wants to learn everything there there is about Italian cooking and Italian, he's Italian by ancestry. So when you have people like that in your organization, I mean, it, it makes it easy. And yeah. you, you take people like this and you take care of them and you take care of their families and you, you make them partners in the business. And, and that's how you grow an organization like ours. Yeah, incredible. Um, Alex, so last question. Um, every segment or most every segment, we try and do a rising tide moment. It's rising tide dun, moment. Dun, 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 dun. Which is... Just an opportunity for our guests to tell a story about work they've done in the community or, you know, just something that their company or their organization is doing that, you know, helps lift the boats of, of the community. What's an example of something in your, whether it's your day-to-day life or your corporate life, um, that kind of rings true to the Rising Tide moment? Sure. I just left one. Um, well, we started yesterday, actually. I'll start yesterday and I'll work my way to today. But yesterday we uh, we did a citywide cleanup. And I love citywide cleanups as a way to give back to the community because we just have so many people. So yesterday we had 250 people sign up for a citywide cleanup and we did 10 locations and we picked up 2,000 pounds of trash in the city. So power in numbers. We went out in the community. We went to 10 different locations in the community, picked up trash. We do it once a quarter um, and it's just a great team building. And then we, we went to Chop Tank after and all had lunch as a team. It was great. But one of the things that I think is even more interesting is today... Chef Aaron, Aaron's our corporate chef. Um, we uh, took 20 kids out to lunch from Carver, which is a high school in Baltimore City. And specifically, they're in the hospitality program at Carver. Cool. Yeah, FOH and BOH. So we took them to the Four Seasons today. Uh, we went through all of our properties at the Four Seasons. We spoke to them for about an hour. And then um, having lunch at, we just had lunch at Maximon at Four Seasons. And what we've established is, is a feeder program for these hospitality students graduating in Carver to get entry-level jobs at Atlas. And then one of the things we're doing is, is we're working to assign these kids mentors so that in each specific property, they have a front of house or back of house mentor that can coach them on just basic things like showing up on time and making sure the uniforms are clean and just things that high school kids miss sometimes when they get into the workforce. Sure. And these are kids that are specifically signed up to, tra- to do trade school. Essentially, they they may not be going to college. They may not be going to get a higher degree. They're in a trade school. So one of the things we're doing for the community, and, and, and we're really proud of this, is really working with these kids at a high school level to make sure that they get paying jobs right away. And not only that, but showing the kids one of the things we talked about today. Aaron's like, look, I have 900 people working for me. I'm the corporate chef of the company. I make a serious living where I can go afford any house I want to live in. And not only that, but, you know, there's chefs that will become partners or chefs that will start their own places. Like you're not just signing up in the hospitality business to be a cook or to be a server. Like you can own your own business and we can show you how to do that. And so um, really interesting and the kids were super receptive and we had a great time with them. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah at the philanthropy that the, the uh, Paterakis and Smith family does is uh, unprecedented. 
you know, just being one of the larger employers in the city, obviously, is a, is a pretty big deal. But then the way you all give back, whether it's, uh, you know, your Uncle Bill Paterakis and the Ronald McDonald House, which is just yeah, great charity. incredible, incredible charity, or, or the work you do with the give back and the helping employment and helping show kids and, and young folks in Baltimore the, the, the different ways to achieve your goals and be successful long term. But uh, I think it, uh, it, really is, uh, it really is powerful, and I think it's uh, sometimes unnoticed. There's other very large uh, philanthropic families in uh, in the city of Baltimore, and I think sometimes people just take it for granted of how much is given back. And I think the Smith and Paterakis family have continued to live that uh, day in and day out as recently as a couple hours ago. So we really appreciate all that Thank hard you. work. That's a phenomenal program. Sounds like a lot of fun, and that's awesome that you're doing it. You probably get as much from it as you give. Oh, absolutely. That's incredible. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Unfortunately, I think we could probably sit here and talk for hours, but this has been awesome, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for your time, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for coming to keep up the great work. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much to Alex Smith for being with us today. We can't wait to keep bringing you interviews with the best in the business. We'd love to hear from the audience on topics you want us to discuss. So hit us up on social media at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Rienzo. He's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.